You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. Continuing with our World Cup Digest, covering latest matches and news, uh, today we'll be talking about match number 24 and 25, uh, played between Afghanistan and England and uh, South Africa and New Zealand, respectively. The match between Afghanistan and England was played at Old Trafford, Manchester, uh, and uh, South Africa and New Zealand was played at uh, Edgebaston, Birmingham. Let me welcome my co-host, Ajit, so that we can talk about this. Hello, Ajit. Hi, Giri. How's it going? It goes good. How are you? Good as well. Uh, yeah, so we have so many matches, right? Uh, yes. And uh, potentially a very important match that happened yesterday between uh, South Africa and New Zealand. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, the other one first? Sure. So before we go to that one, so let's look at the other match that happened. So the match between Afghanistan and England. Uh, so in this case, this was a little bit of a one-sided match. When you look at uh, the scores, England won this match comfortably by a, by 150 runs. So England had won the toss and elected to bat first. Ever since they did that, sort of the writing was on the wall against this Afghan team, who's a bit, um, they're not the best team out there in this World Cup and they're struggling a little, right? So James Wins made 26, another pretty 20. And then J- Johnny Bairstow and James Wins actually started out very slowly. Uh, and when James Wins was dismissed, uh, the score was 44 in the 10th over. But then Johnny Bairstow picked up the scoring rate along with Joe Root, who was his uh, usual, you know, very metronomical self. And uh, Johnny Bairstow made 90 before he was caught and bowled by Gulbadin Naib. Joe Root made 88, again, of just 82 balls. And then again, he fell to Gulbadin Naib. But Oin Morgan played probably what is uh, to date his best ODI innings. And uh, he hit 148 of 71 balls with 17 sixes. This is the maximum number of sixes for any batsman in an ODI innings. He was then supported by Moeen Ali, who made 31. But Butler and Ben Stokes did not have much to contribute. But they ended up with a total of 397 for six, England. When you look at the bowling stats, uh, Dawlat Zadran took three wickets, but considered 85 runs. Mujibur Rahman um, took no wickets, but considered just 44 runs of his 10 overs. They did a good job in the middle overs. Uh, Nabi took um, zero for 70 of nine overs. And Gulbadin Naib had a very decent outing given the score. He took three for 68 of 10 hours. Uh, the worst uh, bowling analysis in the in this match went to Rashid Khan, who took uh, nine hours for 110. It was a nightmare of a day for uh, the Afghan's uh, main, let's say, main strike bowler. When it came to Afghanistan's innings, well, it was going to be a tough chase from the outset, and it did not help when they lost Noor Ali Zadran, bold archer for a duck. Gulbadin Naib promoted himself to open and uh, played a very flashy 37 of just 28 balls, but before he was caught by Wood, or off Wood by Butler. Rahmat Shah made a steady 46, but took way too many balls. Hashmatullah Shahidi made 76 of 100 again, 100 balls. Askar Afghan uh, finally found some form, making 44 of 48. And then Najibullah Zadran made 15, but the rest of the batting order could not contribute much. And they subsided to 247 for eight, and England one by 150 runs. When you look at the bowling uh, from, from England, Wokes took uh, 41 for no wicket in nine overs. Jofra Archer, uh, three wickets for 52 and 10. Uh, Moeen Ali, 35 runs of his seven overs, no wickets. Mark Wood was good, 
Yeah, he took uh, two for 40 of uh, 10 overs. Uh, Adil Rashid also took three wickets for 66 of 10 overs and Ben Stokes completed the remaining overs. So, Ian Morgan was the man of the match. There are no doubts in that, I guess. Uh, he played a really explosive innings, Giri. Yeah, I think uh, it was one of the most cleanest hitting. I saw the highlights. Uh, this reminded me of the innings he played with Josh Butler back in the Caribbean earlier this year. I think both of them got hundreds back then. Uh, Butler was the more aggressor there. Uh, but this time, I think uh, Morgan just showed the whole world what a capable hitter he is. Right. And uh, his, I think his game has transformed so much over the last couple of years. He, he strikes so beautifully. Mm-hmm. So he was timing everything. He was timing every single uh, ball. I think if you try to follow the highlights of this match, uh, for me at least, I, I got a bit tired of uh, looking at all those sixes because there's so many of them, right? right. So it was a, it's a downpour of sixes. And uh, unfortunately, I think Rashid Khan wa- had a very bad game. Right. Uh, I don't know what the morale of the team right now is, Afghanistan's team. They looked uh, a bit down on the field when they were bowling. Mm-hmm. And Rashid Khan seemed to be out of sorts, or probably England had uh, worked him out very nicely. Right. Um, Johnny Besto, you remember, played with uh, Rashid Khan for uh, Sunrisers in the IPL. Uh-huh. So I think uh-huh. uh, he must have had some uh, inside secrets there that he had shared with uh, the England cricket team. So right. they probably knew how to handle him. And the other thing I noticed was uh, if you compare uh, the spinners, Mujibur Rahman, uh, Muhammad Nabi, and uh, Rashid Khan, you look at Rashid Khan, he went for plenty, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Nabi went for uh, 70 runs in his nine overs, but Mujibur Rahman, he went for just 44 runs. So he was a pick of the bowlers for them uh, in terms of spinning options. Uh, what I understood here is Rashid Khan is difficult to read, uh, read from the hand. So he has a very quick arm action, so you can't read what he's going to bowl. Mm-hmm. But before he bowls the delivery, you can see in his stride already how he's holding the ball, whether it's going to be a googly or whether it's going to be a traditional leg spinner. You can spot that. But right. with Mujibur Rahman, uh, I think Sangakara made an analysis during uh, the match. Uh, and uh, what he noticed was he has the same kind of an action and he holds the ball in a very similar fashion, no matter what kind of delivery he bowls, whether it's a, a straight uh, slide owner. Uh, or if it's a, a carom ball or if, it, or if it's a, an off spinner. So it's actually difficult to spot Mujibur Rahman when he's on song. And I think right. this was one of the occasions. And Bairstow actually played him with a lot of respect uh, earlier in the inning. So the, that's why you see a lot of dot balls uh, uh, in his uh, bowling uh, figures. So all in all, I think Afghanistan probably had lost the match by the time the 25th or the 26th over was done. I think they were England were looking ominous already. Uh, the other uh, points I noticed was England's acceleration in the death overs is unbelievably good. So what they did is, uh, if you look at, if you compare the, uh, you know, batting figures, every 10 overs there was a graphic that was displayed during the match or at the end of the match. So the first 10 overs England scored 46 runs for the loss of one wicket. The next 10 overs, so between 11 and 20, they scored 60 runs. So they were already getting up to six runs an over. Mm-hmm. 21 to 30 was 58 runs for the loss of one wicket. So just about uh, six runs an over. And then from over number 31 to 40, that's when Morgan was uh, getting along really nicely. They made 91 runs uh, in those 10 overs. And in the final power play between uh, over number 41 and 50, um, England made a mammoth 143 runs. So that's a run rate wow. of more than 14. Right, so this is why you see such a huge figure, uh, 397 runs, almost 400 runs. 
and uh, at the end i saw mohin ali i think i happened to catch this live mohin ali was just throwing his bat around everything was in his slot he was right. hammering it all over the park he even hit, hit four sixes and if you if you count the number of sixes in the whole match together i think both teams scored 31 sixes out of which england uh, scored 25 and afghanistan had six sixers among their batters so it was a batting uh, masterclass from england and uh, afghanistan unfortunately are looking down the barrel right now uh, right. they probably will uh, yeah their world cup seems to be coming to an abrupt end uh, with a string of all these losses and also very bad performances actually i was expecting a lot more but and it doesn't seem to be the case they have their next match against india of course i think that's on saturday right um so will they be able to you know stand up and uh, put up a fight against india it remains to be seen but they will be on for a yeah another <laughs> um defeat i would say because they're not looking good on the field at the moment unfortunately and also off the field they have had some issues right i think there okay. was some altercation with uh, some restaurant staff in uh, staff in uh, manchester but the management has played it down a little bit and okay. uh, in fact coach uh, phil simmons <laughs> i think he has said that he's going to explore ex- expose the chief selector uh, daulat uh, ahmed zai after the world cup because i think he run he has a contract uh, mm-hmm. so there there is, it all doesn't sound well there so a lot of negativity around that and probably the it has uh, unsettled the players a little bit um so we need to see what's going to happen uh, in the next few days i hope afghanistan you know at least fight a bit uh, and show their uh, show why they were promoted uh, in uh, the test cricket at least why they became the top test side they right look uh, it's their first tour of england and most celebrated teams do struggle when they are touring england for the first time and they are playing a world cup and in england when most teams are firing on all cylinders and are at their best so mm-hmm. it's to be expected that they might mm-hmm. struggle a little but yeah i mean knowing the afghani team i think they'll look to bounce back in a strong way in the remaining matches and at least do a creditable show if whether they win a match or not remains to be seen probably their best chance uh, against sri lanka has come and gone but you still not write them off maybe the match against pakistan might be close match against mm. india might also be close because you know uh, they they know these two opponents well and i think uh, they might have a surprise or two up their sleeve so that's yeah. one thing the other thing you're absolutely right you know um regarding that incident that happened on the eve of the match where, where there was some uh, small altercation with some patrons at a restaurant it looks like the patrons may have suggested that at 11 pm Mm-hmm. they were ordering a lot of food and maybe given that there was a match next day such a lot of food was probably not a good idea and uh, it has mm-hmm. come out that mohammad nabi was the main uh, let's say the protagonist in this uh, altercation and he seems to have uh, had a few words with certain patrons and then it i think mm-hmm. it was hushed up not a lot came out afterwards but well i mean yeah if there were really some interesting selections and the captain being sacked before the tournament and yeah. on I think there might be something that come out once Phil Simmons is out of his contractual obligations with the Afghan board uh, that remains yeah. to be seen right yeah yeah all right so now, shall yeah shall we look at the next match i think this was a tighter contest uh, mm-hmm. between south africa and new zealand uh, played at birmingham edge baston mm-hmm. um so uh, new zealand won the toss uh, on what looked like a slowish pitch i think uh, and also i think softer surface that's why uh, kenyan ken williamson uh, decided to bowl first um right. south africa uh, i'll just run through the score and then we can talk about the analytical points here so south africa came out to bat they lost quinton de kock early um to uh, trent bolt 
uh, he was bold clean bold uh, while exposing the stumps i think uh, they went through the gate between his bat and pad uh, and then Amla and uh, Faf Duplessis tried to put on a partnership. I think they had a 50-run partnership, uh, after which uh, Lockie Ferguson, the fast bowler, uh, clean bowled uh, Faf Duplessis of a fantastic Yorker. Um, and then um, Amla and uh, Aidan Markram tried to stitch together, together another partnership. I think they put on about uh, uh, close to 50, just over 50 runs partnership uh, when... Uh, Hashim Amla was uh, dismissed by Santner. He was clean bowled uh, off Santner. And then soon afterwards, Makram followed suit. Uh, he was out when the score was 136 runs. He was a fourth wicket down. Makram made 38 runs. I forgot to mention that Amla, Amla actually had made a 50. So it was, you know, welcome back to form for him. I think it's, mm. uh, it was a good score for him. It was an important 50 for the team. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, Henry van der... Hendrik, or rather Rasif van der Dusen, along with uh, David Miller, uh, had a bigger partnership. I think this was the most significant partnership in the whole match. They studied the middle order and then they made sure they didn't lose any wickets. Uh, however, the scoring rate dropped drastically. So they were scoring just over four runs an over or something like that. And this actually came to hurt them later in the, in the match because when they tried to accelerate, they couldn't find the middle of the bat. Uh, and they were they seemed to be out of touch at least david miller did until he started hitting a few um but david miller was dismissed um in the fifth, 45th over when the score was 208 runs uh, he was dismissed for 36 runs uh, rasi van der dusen went on to make a 50 he was unbeaten in the end on uh, uh, for uh, 67 runs uh, of 64 deliveries which had three sixes and two fours um, the other guy who joined uh, Rasi van der Dusen was Pachlovayo, uh, and uh, he was also dismissed for a duck uh, by Lockie Ferguson. In the end, um, South Africa made 241 runs for the loss of six, six wickets uh, in 49 overs. They lost one over because uh, the match started uh, a little later due to wet outfield. So the match was 49 overs aside. Uh, bowling figures, New Zealand Seamus had a very good day. Um, Henry uh, went for 34 runs uh, in his 10 overs, but did not pick up a wicket. He was unfortunate, I would say. He bowled really well. Trent Bold, of course, picked up the uh, crucial wicket of Quentin de Kock uh, and uh, went for uh, 63 runs in his 10 overs. Slightly expensive. Lockie Ferguson also went for a few runs. He went for 59 runs, uh, but he picked up three wickets in his 10 overs. Um, Mitchell Santner bowled his left arm spin, uh, picked up a wicket for 45 runs in nine overs. But I think the pick of the bowlers, I think one of the more economical spells in this uh, innings was uh, Colin de Grandholm with his medium pace. Went for 33 runs and picked up a wicket uh, of uh, Aidan Makram in his 10 overs. So in in response, New Zealand began, uh, you know, I think New Zealand went uh, started okay in the first two overs. Um, but uh, Colin Munro was cotton bowled by Rabada. I think Rabada bowled really well in the initial spell at least. Um, Munro was out for nine runs uh, when the score was 12 uh, in the third over. And then Martin Guptill and Kane Williamson um, put on a partnership of 60 runs. When Martin Guptill, uh, while trying to hit a ball of Pachlovayo, uh, fell over the stumps. So he was out, hit wicket. Uh, that's a very strange dismissal. I think this is the first one of this uh, tournament uh, this year. Hit wicket for 35 runs. Um, Ross Taylor soon joined uh, Williamson, but he was out cheaply for one run. 
I was uh, caught in, uh, caught by uh, Quentin de Kock of uh, Chris Morris. I think Chris Bo Morris also bowled really well um, during uh, this period. I think in the between the 15th and 20th over, I think he was bowling really well. And uh, uh, Tom Latham was also out for one run again, similar dismissal, caught uh, by Quentin Quentin de Kock of uh, Chris Morris. Jimmy Nisham um, then had a sizable partnership with uh, Kane Williamson. I think by when uh, Nisham was out, the I think the score was 137 runs for the loss of five wickets. Nisham was uh, again caught by Amla of Morris. I think this was a very nice slip catch. It was more of a fly slip, I would say, where Amla was standing. It was a very sharp catch. So it was good to see Amla fielding so well. Right. Um, and then uh, Colin de Grandholm joined Kane Williamson. Kane Williamson was looking steady, but he was not his fluent best, I have to, I have to say. It was more of a, a grinding innings uh, by him. Uh, but Colin de Grand, Grandholm, I think uh, this was neck and neck. The match was neck and neck at this point. But de Grandholm uh, provided some fireworks. I think he provided much needed, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, I would say hitting during the middle order, uh, middle overs. Which meant that uh, he scored a six, he scored 60 runs uh, of 47 deliveries, which had five fours and two sixes. Before he was uh, dismissed by Engidi, uh, caught in the deep by uh, Faf Duplessis at long off. By the time I think the match had become very close, I think it was one of those you know scores where uh, it reminds me of uh, the 90s where we had a similar uh, match. I think. I don't remember the exact one, but we had very similar matches in the 90s where uh, short you know, targets or a smaller target would always provide a lot of entertainment, and this was one of those. Uh, in the end, um, Kane Williamson was still there. He ensured that, you know, he took the game deep and he ensured that uh, New Zealand won it in the end. I think the in the last over against uh, Pahlavayo, he hit a six, maybe of the mm -hmm. second delivery of the last over. Right. And then that basically settled the score. I think uh, New Zealand then needed just one run. They finished it off. Um, so New Zealand won the match by four wickets uh, in the last over. So that's the 49th over. Um, amongst the bowlers, uh, Rabada picked up a wicket for 42 runs in his 10 overs. Engiri picked up a wicket for 47 runs in his 10 overs. Morris, three wickets for 49 in 10 overs. Pahlavayo, one wicket for 73 was a bit expensive in his uh, 8.3 overs. Imran Tahir, he didn't pick up a wicket, uh, but he went for 33 runs um, in his 10 overs. Man of the match was obviously Kane Williamson uh, for his 106 not out, uh, seeing the team home uh, safely. And uh, South Africa are virtually out of this World Cup because of this yet another loss. So it doesn't look good for them anymore. So what do you think of the match, Ajit? Did you well, like it? I mean, yes, man. It was the first true thriller of this tournament, I would say. Mm -hmm. And as most thrillers go, it's a, it was a low-scoring one. Uh, it was on a sticky sort of a pitch, as you saw that, you know, nobody was able to really score freely. Not a lot of batsmen scored at 100 uh, strike rate or more. So Rasif Anderson did it, and then David Miller sort of almost did it. If you look at the most important innings, I think Kane Williamson, who scored 106, it was an innings of sheer genius, I would say, because he always uh, continued to play confidently. This guy has a solid technique, we know it, but he was also a master of not expending too much energy when he goes for his strokes. But in this uh, pitch, you kept seeing he kept getting beaten because of the balls that he used to sort of stick in the pitch. So very much like what Colin de Grandholm did. You know, and maybe even Matt Henry to an extent, they identified the right length to bowl on that pitch. 
and continue to exploit it where it became very difficult for the batsman to hit uh, even somebody a clean hitter like martin guptill couldn't sort of you know get away with scoring a big big uh, total or a very quick total you know quick number but then what really mattered was um, south africa tried their best they were a bit unlucky you know for example i think kane williamson got a, a life when the last ball of um, Uh, Imran Tahir's spell was a caught mm-hmm. behind, but nobody appealed. Well, or mm-hmm. they appealed sort of half-heartedly, and there was no review taken up as mm-hmm. a result. You know, Kane Williamson mm-hmm. got away with it. That could have been a turning point. Yeah. The other thing, I think, Colin De Grandhome, when he tried to hit a couple of his shots, fell short of fielders. For example, the one near uh, the boundary where David Miller almost tried the one near shot mid wicket again. It was David Miller, right? Um, in any case, uh, it was um, very clear that. Um, this was going to be a hair's breadth away one way or the other whichever team won and i think kane williamson was the real difference there i mean as well as colin de grandhome and to an extent james nisham mm-hmm. did supporting him without him this was not going to be a victory for new zealand and this guy you know he's actually blocked 72 dot balls yeah in a innings of 138 in a one day you cannot imagine somebody blocking more than half his balls but he did and it didn't matter in the end because when the team was under pressure again 14 of 12 um, colin de grandhome getting out in that ball you know and then he he sort of turned the match on its head in those two balls or three balls as you say right so uh, the last ball of the 49th over he guided to third man he got lucky it went for boundary and then the second ball of the last over when it was seven of five or some such he just hit a six so this guy who's been batting with restraint right through knew when mm-hmm. to accelerate and that was the hit that took him to 100 so you can imagine yeah. how how uh, momentous that hit was so unfortunately south africa i think can be proud of the way they bowled and they fielded and they were a bit unlucky but i think the batsmen still uh, sort of you know uh, deserve a bit of the blame quinton de kock could not do much and then yeah. amla and fafdu plessy both of them were very slow agreed the pitch was a bit you know two bounce and it was not easy but eden makram and um, fafdu plessy you know they couldn't really convert big what happens is with these good players if they are able to stay for more than 50 60 balls they usually make up the scoring rate towards the end yeah. but only you know rasif andrews was able to do that and to an extent miller right so as a result that probably cost them some 20 runs in the end and maybe could have made a difference in the final outcome but all in all it was a genius innings by ken williamson i thought mm-hmm. and uh, we have seen much higher totals individual totals by batters this mm-hmm. world cup but this was probably the best uh, batting innings we have seen in this world cup for me yeah right so also when you look at uh, colin de grandhome before this uh, match or even during the match i think i questioned uh, his inclusion ahead of somebody like tim saudi mm-hmm. and then he replied fittingly by performance yeah. on the pitch first of all uh, 10 overs for 33 one wicket was very parsimonious and also as i said he identified the right pace and length and mm-hmm. most importantly he scored 60 of 47 where he was the aggressive batsman there you know in that partnership of 91 i think kane williamson contributed just 28 or 29 mm-hmm. as a result it was very obvious that uh, uh, it was tough for um, mm-hmm. kane williamson because he was intent on holding one end up dropping yeah. anchor so to say you needed somebody like a colin de grandhome to hit out it would have been yeah. too tough for if colin de grandhome had fallen for a 30 or a 20 even a fast one right i think it would it would have been very difficult for michel santner to keep keep the same scoring rate up right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. a lot of credit to colin de grandhome there all right so as you are saying rightly probably andile pelukwayo had a bad bad day and probably that cost uh, south africa as well because eight and a half overs for 73 in such a low scoring encounter was very very difficult mm. right and then as i said it was a little bit here and there and south africa were on the wrong end of it 
so mm. they are nearly out of the tournament it's just a mathematical possibility what remains for them but even that remains to be seen frankly because they still have a tough very tough journey to mm-hmm. you know a couple of tough matches still and god knows whether they'll be able to turn it around but i'm sure they can perform well and hold their head high when they go home because they tried their bit they will probably review the easy loss to india or a couple of their earlier matches but uh, what happened happened right yeah all right going but further one more highlight sorry oh, one more highlight yeah hashim amla <laughs> finished uh, or completed 8000 runs uh, in this match right so right, right, he's the right. second fastest to achieve this feat uh second only to of course king kohli uh-huh. uh who did it in uh, one innings earlier right uh, 175 innings uh, for kohli and 176 for uh, hashim amla right um hashim amla may be at the almost at the twilight of his career uh, so we will have to see what he does after the world cup maybe he retires from uh, rimchudo was cricket right uh, i don't know yeah well i think his this unexpected dip in form probably cost him the you know the uh higher uh, the let's say the mm-hmm. record in a less number of matches probably this dip in form and less score runs he's been scoring costing that yeah. probably yeah right all right and now if you were to go ahead and look at the other world cup news um we have got to know that dhawan has been uh well he's now not going to be a part of the indian squad for the rest of the world cup as a result he has no choice but to you know withdraw yep. from the squad and pant has been approved as his replacement rishabh pant mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this kiri yeah i think india are going to miss shikhar dhawan he was a vital part of this uh, top 3 mm-hmm. um and pant coming back in he is for sure not going to open so if he p- plays in a match um where will he where will he slot in number 5 number 6 or even number 4 i don't know right um but however uh, come to think of it India play against Afghanistan in the next match mm-hmm. and they are anyway going to replace uh, Bhuvi uh, with uh, Mohammad Shami so they're going to they're going to make some more changes i think in the squad so it may not be a bad opportunity for them to give uh, Pant a chance to go and express himself right. so that he at least match fit when the mm-hmm. time comes when the you know serious uh, when when there are more serious matches or you know, when the uh when it, when uh, when they have to play against a tougher opposition like england for example which whom they have not played against yet so so this might be not such a bad thing for india at the same time mm-hmm. i think dhawan's presence will be missed so we wish him all the best to uh, you know uh, for a speedy recovery and uh, i hope he comes back to the squad uh, in time to make the you know i think they have the next next to world cup i think india have a test series against west indies if i'm not wrong so i hope he comes back for that Uh, in uh, quick time yeah well i mean definitely india going to miss also his uh, you know he's the um, his record in the icc tournaments mm. and especially in england so this is going to be missed for sure so let's really hope you know yeah he's able to first of all recover and um, yeah as far as india are concerned it was still a bit surprising to see pant getting chosen ahead of uh, ambati raidu right if it was going to be a middle order slot for sure mm. um, also let's not forget that raidu can open uh, he's mm. he has some opening experience in the ipl so that could have been you know a bit easier but now it looks like uh, rahul is slotted into open for the rest of the tournament he's done a right. good job yeah, yeah. i think one left hander for another left hander that could also be the logic here indeed so, indeed. so india will probably want to have more left handers and how many left handers do they have in the squad right now well not a lot <laughs> you're right yeah. see right. i think that that's probably the reason why they need him 
and uh, he can be used as a floater he can be used at whatever batting order slot yeah. outside of top 3 i would say right yeah. yeah and then because he's a lefty he brings that um, you know that left and right combination and always you know also he's very competent against spinners he's seen mm. Uh, mm. he's been showing that to us so that will be good in the upcoming matches right and he manages to clear the fence even when he's out of shape <laughs> oh yeah oh, yeah so uh, we, he has got a lot enough, of power uh, Yeah. Sanjay Manjekar, I think, was pointing out some of these things, right? Yeah, But indeed, I yeah. mean, at the end, uh, where the ball ends up is what matters because uh, there is this um, article by I think Osman Samiuddin, if I'm not wrong, where he points out how uh, Hardik Pandya has risen to the the annals of being a freak, air quotes, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. some of his shots don't look believable at all because they are not in any way or form orthodox or even. there they go against everything that you see in a coaching manual but the ball is always going to the boundary he says yeah, yeah. so you know this guy is playing some uh, helicopter shots or what not so that's yeah. another article i can recommend to our listeners the article that osman samiuddin wrote about how pandya yeah. is now going to be uh, also a freak so to say yeah. in terms of his performances and and uh, you know i remember when there was a preview of india pakistan match Mm-hmm. before the toss uh, the players were having practice they were practicing on the on the field right. uh, pandya was taking batting tips from guess who rahul dravid no mahendra singh dhoni wow okay yeah so they were okay. standing next to each other and dhoni was actually telling him you know with a with a an imaginary bat they were not holding a bat but dhoni was telling him how to follow through on a shot he was he was i, I think he was fine tuning his uh, helicopter shot skills right dhoni was right, telling right. him eh, this was right they were standing next to each other so it was a very nice uh, sight to behold because dhoni was passing on all that knowledge of power hitting to a youngster like uh, hardik pandya right so yeah so i just remembered that because you mentioned uh, pandya and uh, how pandya has become such a uh, you know such a powerful striker when you look mm-hmm. at him he is not such a he doesn't have a powerful build but i think his core strength is very good he has a stable base and he has a very good core uh, uh strength indeed no that's a right assessment i would say and also longer levers than most yeah. people think right yeah 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 right yeah all right so if you were to go forward there are a couple of uh, interesting news from pcb perspective from pakistan cricket board's perspective first of all pcb has announced that they would do a robust review of the team support personnel after the cricket world cup 19 once the team is back home it is almost um, Uh, you know again pakistan also are very much on the brink as far as qualifying for the knockouts goes so they, i think they are already trying to see if there needs to be a revamp in terms of uh, who would be this coach the sele- uh, the even that maybe the selection committee giri what are your thoughts on this yeah heads will fall mm. after this debacle i think uh, if you look at pakistan team right now i think they they're not uh, such an extraordinary team they have some talented people i think uh, but they have not gelled together as a team and played well right uh, especially the leadership group uh, hasn't done enough i think if you look at the leader on the field uh, he doesn't exude a lot of uh, enthusiasm I, i would say right he looks sad right. but maybe that's why that's how he is but uh, i think uh, it starts from there uh, he is a good keeper he is a good batsman but i don't know if he's doing well enough on the field to remain as a captain maybe right. they have to look at uh, promoting one of the younger guys uh, to the captaincy role and just right. let him be there for a couple of years just so that you know he gets some experience and then they can build a team for the future just mm-hmm. like what india have been uh, doing right. um and maybe they have to revamp or uh, look at the way the domestic circuit is uh, currently uh, being uh, you know uh, 
uh, organized i think imran khan had already proposed some changes we talked about this in one of our earlier episodes so maybe they have to go back to that as well and apart from this uh, the selection committee the chief selector you know the whole management right uh, especially uh, our uh, inzamul haq uh-huh. um, so i don't know if he will actually stay as a selector uh, still i don't know maybe they will have to change the coach as well mickey arthur right we, we 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 kind of see these things happen when there is you know a bad result uh, at the end of a world cup like this so we we, we can expect a few changes there but the real uh, changes we'll see uh, i think in a three or four weeks from now but yeah they will need they will need to have a, a an overhaul maybe yes. not fully but i think some of the senior players will have to uh, leave like uh, shoaib malik or uh, mohammad hafiz maybe I think he's almost 40, right? So he probably mm-hmm. will also have to go as well. So we'll see. Uh, we'll keep following this and then see uh, what comes out of it. Well, another story that sort of links into the same thing is Mohsin Khan, who was the head of the cricket committee, as constituted by the new chairman Hassan Mani, uh, has resigned from his post as the head of the committee because, uh, well, we don't know what this really means. This could mean that he may have thrown his hat in the ring for the coach's position again. or he may have actually had some other disagreements with the you know the management and the upper management and he may have decided to withdraw from the uh, from his uh, post so one way or the other he's been let go right so we don't know how this is going to shape up i'm looking mm-hmm. for some latest analysis shows uh, where nimish he participated maybe he's given a hint if i get to know anything i would probably talk about it in the upcoming episodes right mm-hmm. now there were some other interesting cricket news from outside of the world cup so first one is that there was a match between netherlands and zimbabwe yesterday in deventer right where netherlands won comfortably uh, in a 47 over game so batting for zimbabwe it was a rain affected game so uh, the match was reduced to 47 overs and zimbabwe made only 205 for eight wickets in 47 overs right and then um, netherlands comfortably chased it down in the 43rd over with just the loss of three wickets right and then uh, there is also this news about the um, mali t20 women's team who unfortunately have not covered themselves in a lot of glory they were all out for six against rwanda women so in this match in the specific match of the kuibuka women's t20 tournament held in kigali city this is a quadrangular tournament where mali rwanda uganda and tanzania are playing each other so mali women seems to very much be the uh, weakest team because they were once out for six all out this is comfortably the lowest score made by any team in any t20 tournament barring some amateur leagues i'm sure so which rwanda won with just four balls with they just took four balls to win this match by 10 wickets right this is the largest margin of victory also the um, number of balls remaining and everything mm-hmm. and then in the upcoming match uh, mali were all out for 11 against tanzania right and which tanzania again won with just four balls bowled and then uh, in one of the upcoming matches uganda made a very small 314 for 2 in their 20 overs and mali were all out for 10 again so um, it's it's been to say the least a very one sided tournament i think as far as mali is concerned so they have not been really covering themselves with a lot of glory mm-hmm. so going on we've we've come to know that yuvraj singh who recently announced his retirement from all forms of cricket is still uh, interested in playing some t20 leagues out there and he's asking if he can get a no objection certificate from bcci to play in the other t20 leagues so i think this is a good thing he can, he has a lot of experience to offer and the many tournaments mm-hmm. out there could use his experience and mm-hmm. you know his uh, sort of even leadership skills if required so yeah. we wish him all the best going forward 
Irfan Khan also has said, uh, Irfan Pathan, sorry. Indeed. Right? Indeed. He had also asked uh, for NOC. I don't know what happened to that, but... Yeah, it's a I mean, there's some time yet. It's for the, I think, the Canada T20 League. So there's mm-hmm. some time yet. And he may get it, of course. And yeah. Knowing that his chances are clearly not going to come again for the national team and Yuraj having retired, they both may, given, may be given this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right? All right. If we now go on to the trivia section, the trivia question from the previous episode was, which player holds the record for the fastest 50 for West Indies in a World Cup match? Right? So surprisingly, our good friend Yogesh, got the answer but he got only one part of the answer he has later clarified indeed that there were two people so the answer actually is twofold so brian lara who made this uh, who made a 50 of just 23 balls against canada in 2003 world cup and then kyron pollard who made again of 23 balls against uh, netherlands in the 2011 world cup are the joint holders of this record and yogesh had pointed out that because brian lara did it first he deserves the record but i think you know both of them deserve no matter when the record was achieved they both mm-hmm. deserve to hold the record jointly and of course um we really hope yogesh continues to answer the questions and other listeners also take a cue from yogesh's spirit and uh, you know answer our questions and you know encourage us all right so the trivia question for this week is who is the first new zealand batter to be dismissed at wicket in a world cup odi match Right. If you've been following the cricket recently very carefully, you know the answer to this question. All right. You can get in touch with us to give us the answer to this trivia question or, you know, for any other thoughts or comments that you want to share with us uh, on social media, for example, at armchaircricketpod or through our Facebook page, right? Or you could write in to us at armchair.cricket at gmail.com. Uh, you could also leave a comment in whichever podcasting app, app you may use, for example, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, any of those, right? So do keep listening to us. We have plenty of interesting episodes coming up. We'll have some guests who will be taking part in a review of the World Cup so far with us and so on. And I do hope you all stay tuned in and keep encouraging us through your comments. Having said all that, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from him. Bye-bye. You're listening to Armchair Cricket Podcast.